Welcome to the Church of Philadelphia podcast. Get ready for this message to ignite your faith as the power and love of God is shared through his word. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. So let's go ahead and jump right into the word. Y'all know with me, you get to be some gymnast regardless of your age, your weight, or your flexibility. So if you can indulge me, but let's honor God for the reading of his word please stand amen and we're going to flip over to the book of first corinthians chapter number 14 and we're going to land a perfect 10 on verse number 10 so first corinthians chapter number 14 starting at verse number 10 and here begins the reading of god's holy word it says there are it may be so many kinds of voices in the world and none of them is without signification you may be seated in the presence of the living god and where we are in scripture. Paul is tackling this anger where he's talking about uh, these voices. And, you know, if you're doing all of this speaking, if you don't have charity, if you don't have love, it's going to be in vain. It's going to be worthless. Right. And as we travel down, we find ourselves here at verse number 10. And he begins to talk about the signification or the significance that is found in each voice. Right. And what I want you to see when you look at this particular verse, right, he says there are it may be so many kinds of voices in the world. And none of them is without signification, right? I want you to look at the root word or signification, sign. A sign is something that points to something, that instructs you, it, it gives you direction, it leads you to a place. That's, that's what we understand a sign to be, right? So a voice is a sign, a voice is used to point you, instruct you into the right direction or, or lead you into the right path, right? And so, just want to start right there. Now, to give you a little background as we are pushing through with this sermon series, which is called Kingdom of a Culture, as Minister Najes talked about, we are dealing with the cancel culture, right? And cancel culture is simply defined as this right here. It's the withdrawing of support from those who have done things that aren't socially accepted today, right? Y'all know what it'd be like when you see out there in the great sea of social media, when one of the celebrities, they do something, say something that uh, this cancel culture, this culture of people who want to cancel them out, they withdraw their support for them, right? And, and thereby causing them to look crazy based upon the thing that they did, based upon the thing that they said. You know, they don't show any mercy. They don't show any forgiveness and things of this rates right there right so we're, we're looking at that how you'll see it within cancer culture and the part of this cancer culture that I'm going to be trying to tackle this morning is this right here found inside the church found inside the kingdom of God found inside the body of Christ right where you find a lot of men right ego-driven men right don't necessarily want to allow women to speak right and so as we're in first Corinthians chapter number 14 let's go to where they actually begin to deal with this right so we're dropping down to first Corinthians right chapter number uh, 10 we're still in chapter number ten, uh, 14 I'm sorry we're in chapter 14 and we're dropping down to verse number 27 right so first Corinthians 14 and 27 and the scripture reads this right here if any man speak in an unknown tongue let it be by two or at the most by three, that by the course and let none, let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence, right? You see that? Keep silence, right? In verse number 28, keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophet speak two or three and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. I want you to see hold his peace, right? In verse number 30. And then it says, uh, for ye many all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be confident. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not the author of confusion. And if you notice right there, if you're reading the King James Version, the author is italicized, something that was added. For the God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. 34, let your women keep silent. 
Keep signing. In the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, right? Uh, again, you see italicized, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also said the law. Now, when you, when you think about this, right, I pointed out in certain scriptures, we got this word, keep silent or hold your peace. And then when it come back to the women down in, in, in verse number, what, 34, it tells them to keep silent. So each, when it's talking about the men, when the men are speaking in time during the service. Now, what this particular scriptures are talking about, it is really speaking to the order. And it is speaking to the discipline that should be seen, that should be found or should be on display within a church service right within a religious service per se so paul is not necessarily saying women cannot speak in the church because if that's what paul was actually saying oh that means a woman can't come in the church and pray a woman can't come in the church and praise a woman can't come in the church and actually worship all of these things which requires her voice right and like we talked about a voice is a sign it is used to point you into the right direction right and, and think about this here if, if that is what paul means again why is he using this same word when it comes to the men if they begin to just herald out begin to speak in tongue he said if you don't have an interpreter stay silent and he uses this same word right this same word which is found in uh, uh, uh this look at it like this greek word right for the word silence it is called segeo or segato right and it is the same word for hold your peace and for silence that paul is using in regards to the men in regards to the prophets and as well as in regard to the women right so we understand if the if the if the uh, men who are speaking in tongue do not have an interpreter to interpret that that they're speaking in tongue he's saying hold your, keep silent and then for the prophets he said okay if if two or three of you is okay all of y'all cannot speak at the same time Right. Let, let one speak and let the others judge. Right. If not, hold your peace. And he begins to talk about how the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. As a prophet, you have the ability to to harness your spirit. You, you don't have to just spot off anything. You have the ability to harness what you believe God is speaking to you. And so when we come to 34 and it says and let your women keep silence, the same word, the segeo or segato, right, is being used, which is talking about to keep silent. Right. When, when you begin to look at this here, what is, what is he, um, he's saying holds one's peace, right? And that's what he's speaking to, right? Again, we, we talked about that particular word. So then when you look at, he said, keep silent in the church, for it's not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also said the law, right? And when you talk about the law, if you were to go down further in this third verse, and if they were to learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman to speak in church, right? When you think about that verse number 35, talking about them for to learn at home, culturally speaking, right? The last, when I went to Israel in 2015, they still had a, this petition that was dividing the men from the women, right? Men were on the left side at the welling wall, women were on the right side. So culturally speaking, and then you see this a lot in Eastern cultures, especially in Islam, right? You see they separate the men from the women, right? They're, they're not allowed to pray together. They're not allowed to be together in service, you understand? But in 2016, the nation of Israel began to pass a law allowing men and women for the first time to actually come together and pray together down at the wedding wall right so culturally in a service you will have men who will be seated down inside of a synagogue or a temple men will be seated on the floor where women will actually be seated up in balconies and things of this nature right there and when you think about the culture in in Corinth a, a buzzing city a port city a very populous city right and you got to remember one of these fer fertility gods uh, the goddess of Diana right and so 
you found many women um, who were actually on the scene as as prostitutes and things of this nature where you had male prostitutes, but it was a female dominated profession, right? Women, this is where you start looking and you see this dominatrix stuff. It was here. So women were used to being in control in the culture at Corinth, right? And so when some of these women got converted and they became Christians, right, they still was trying to understand because they're now being, they're coming from a pagan system where they worship false gods and things of that nature right there. And as they're coming to the understanding of this one true God, they have questions. And so what was happening while the men would be teaching during the service, you would find women actually asking questions while the men was teaching. So this is what Paul is saying. Okay, listen, if, if you got a question, you got to be silent while the service is going on. When you get home, ask your husband. To give you a little bit more understanding of what was going on because what you found in the culture you found men men were well learned right men who would study the scriptures and things of this nature right there so when women had a question they didn't want you actually interrupting the person who was leading the service or who was declaring or preaching the word of god this is what paul is actually talking to right the other scripture in question when we look at first timothy chapter number two verse number 18 right uh, starting at verse number 18 it says this right here First Timothy chapter two, verse eight. I'm sorry, verse eight. It says, I would therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubt. And like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, which shame facing and sobriety, not with broader hair or gold or pearls or costly array. He said, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Uh, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence, right? For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding that she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Again, look at this particular scripture. We see the word to keep silence, right? Now, this word in, in Timothy, where Paul is writing to Timothy, right? This word silence, silence in the Greek is called hesuchia, right? And, and, and it is defined as simply keeping one's seat or in stillness, operating in stillness, right? And what I want you to look at, I want to give you an example of this, right? If we go to Luke chapter 10, verse number 38. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. It says, now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. Uh, and she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus's feet and heard his word. But Martha was coming about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister have left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. Right. Uh, but one thing is needful and Mary have chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Now, when you look at these particular scriptures, what's happening? It's giving us an image. While Jesus, who's the ultimate teacher, the rabbi, the master, right, is actually teaching. He's been invited into the home of Martha, and Mary finds a position at his feet. Where you see now, look at Martha actually engaging Christ 
In other words, she has an audience with the Messiah. There's not a man mediating for her. She's talking to him and he's talking back to her, right? Because see, men with their ego, they feel like, okay, a woman can't talk to God and God won't talk back to them. So we see this, right? But the real thing that I want you to see, do you see the behavior of Martha? While the ultimate teacher's in your presence, she's cumbered about, the scripture talks about how she's cumbered about, right? Moving about, being busy, while at the same time asking questions, trying to get an understanding. So this is really what Paul was speaking to while the teacher is teaching in the synagogue or in the temple you find women trying to ask questions especially women who are coming out of a pagan religious system and trying to get an understanding about what's being spoken to them as being a part of this new religious system right so they would ask questions during the actual ceremony so Paul was trying to cut down on the confusion that was coming about women speaking up and speaking out of turn so hence when Paul is writing this letter to Timothy he's saying I forbid a woman to, to actually teach or you a man. Remember, coming out of the culture of Corinth, you're used to dealing with women who were dominant, who would just speak when they wanted to speak, speak out of turn. And they're learning discipline, they're learning order as they now become a part of the Christian religion, right? And you have to keep in mind, one thing that we know about Timothy, his character talks about he was a shy, he was a young dude, but he was shy, he was a timid individual, right? And so Paul sent him to go deal with some stuff in Corinth. He couldn't get it done. Then Paul actually had to go send Titus to actually get done what Timothy couldn't get done, right? And so it's believed that while Timothy was there trying to put correction or bring correction to what Paul sent him to deal with, it was some women actually bullying him, harassing him. So this is why Paul began to right where he was speaking in regards to the to the women right but again what you see is it is making reference to when we talk about the scripture in 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 uh first corinthians right please go back there let me let me let me look at this right first corinthians right because first corinthians 14 it is speaking specifically to uh i mean i'm gonna go back to uh uh verse number 34 right where it says Verse 35, right? They don't have that one on the screen. Verse 35, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse number 35, it says, And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands. Husbands. Denoting that who Paul is talking to, he's not talking to women in general, right? Because if he was speaking to women in general, we would not even have the word husbands placed in scripture, right? So it lets us know that he's talking to married women in particular. Same thing when we go to the book of Timothy, right? Where, where Paul is writing this letter to Timothy and Timothy begins to talk about these women keep silent. Don't usurp your husband. Don't usurp a man. All of these different things. It is also making reference to a marriage relationship. Hence, when you go to Timothy and it's going down, it begins to speak about Adam and Eve, right? Now, Adam and Eve didn't have no congregation to preach to, right? And the thing is, we're making reference to Adam and Eve because it's, it's reminding us of the first marriage, per se, right? Because even when they point to the scripture, the scripture says, because this is the law, right? This is the law, right? Because scripture was saying, according to the law, how a woman's desire will be for her husband and her husband will be over her. So that's what it's talking about. And my thing is this, wasn't it, Paul, who said, OK, we, 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 we're no longer under the law, but we're under grace. Right. Paul said that Paul wrote that. Right. So this law is, is in regards to marriage. Right. So he's not saying for women in the church to be silent. He's saying, OK, those women who are married, who are interrupting the service. This is how you need to carry yourself during the service. 
right? So we wanted to point out that, right? And you see in the Greek, Paul uses two different words from the passage in Corinth versus the passage that we find in Timothy. Two different Greek words. If in, indeed Paul was trying to tell them to be silent, that women does not speak altogether, then why would he take the time to actually use two different Greek words with two different meanings? But yet still dealing with those who were married. Because in Corinth, if the wives got to be quiet, if the men speaking in tongues don't have an interpreter, you got to be quiet, man. If the prophets are not just, you got to be quiet, prophets. Just like the women. <laughs> right? That's not what he's saying. Now, I'm giving you the scriptures that are in question because this is where most people go and they go to these two particular scriptures talking about a woman cannot speak, right? A woman cannot speak, right? So I gave you an image. Now, let's just travel through the scripture, right? If we go to Genesis chapter number 29, verse number 9, right? Let's go back to the Old Testament first, right? Old Testament. And the Bible says, and while he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them, right? Giving us a clear indication of the first shepherdess in scripture, right? Giving us an indication. While, while, while Rachel kept her father's sheep, right? Her father's sheep. The Bible likens us. We're considered to be sheep, right? Sheep. We're compared to sheep. Her father's sheep. The Lord is the shepherd. Those of us who pass the congregations are under shepherds. So we see Rachel as an under shepherdess, right? The first one in scripture. Now, think about who Rachel is. Rachel will actually help procreate or bring about the nation of Israel, a nation of priests and kings. The mother. The mother. Right. Let's travel through scripture. Number six, one through two. Right. Number six, one through three. And the Bible says, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, when either man or Woman shall separate themselves to a vow, a vow of a Nazarite to separate themselves unto the Lord. Man or woman separate themselves. In other words, to consecrate themselves for the use of God. And when you dive into the Nazarite call or the Nazarite vow, it is likened to that of being a high priest, right? Being set apart and being used as almost like a high priest. In other words, you set yourself apart. You, you, you uh, consecrate yourself, allow yourself only to be used by God in certain instances. For example, one of the most famous Nazarites in scripture would be Samson or the prophet Samuel, right? So understand, see how they were used by God in a mighty manner. This is what Nazarites were doing. They were setting themselves apart to be used by God. And notice the scripture said, either man or woman. And, and right now, at this juncture in scripture, you don't have an indwelling. You have a coming upon. The Holy Spirit will come upon the people. But notice the scripture says man or woman. Jesus, my, my microphone keeps acting up on me. Now, now, let's go to Paul's writer. Let's go to the book of Romans, Romans chapter number 16. Uh, and we're going to start at verse number one. It says, I commend unto you, Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Centria, right? Phoebe, 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 who is known as a deaconess, right? Now, this is the interesting thing about Phoebe, right? Paul, Paul, he's not locked up at this time, but Paul, he entrusts 
Because when you look up the servant, the servant, it is giving you the word diakonos, right? Diakonos, which is where we get our English word deacon or deaconess, right? And most people only want to go to Timothy when, when Paul is writing about a deacon. Deacon has to be the husband of one wife, all of these different things, right? Really, Paul is just giving you what you're supposed to have when you're going to operate. If a woman and she's married and she's operating as a deaconess, okay, then she needs to have one husband. You understand what I'm saying? But people go and they look at this and they say, a deacon, he got to be the husband of one. Okay, but we already proved to you Paul is not saying women cannot speak. And I'm proving it through his writings too, right? So Romans 16, 1 through 2, right? Phoebe, who we know, when you go and study it out, she's considered to be a deaconess, right? Now, the letter that Paul writes, Paul writes this letter, this epistle, the Roman epistle. But this epistle needs to go to the dignitaries, the Roman dignitaries, who are men. Now, his boy, who he called his sons, Titus and Timothy, he could have easily chosen one of them. But yet he chose Phoebe to deliver the message. And Phoebe delivering or carrying this epistle, she would then have to speak to these Roman dignitaries who are men, men in power, right? She would have to speak to them, right? And she is going to actually explain to them what Paul is actually writing about in the book of Romans. So now he entrusts the word to be carried by a woman to now go speak on his behalf about what he wrote to men in authority. This is what he gave to Phoebe. And when you dive into the word servant again, diakonos in the Greek, giving us deacon, it talks about running an errand or waiting on people, things of that nature right there. And this is indeed what she did, right? So now we see that right there when we drop down in the same chapter, when we go to Romans 16, right? Verse number three. We see what the scripture says, Greek Priscilla and Aquila. Husband and wife team. Now, if you were to go search out their names in the scripture. There are going to be times where you're going to find the scripture say Aquila and Priscilla. And then there are going to be times like Paul is saying Priscilla and Aquila, which has significance, right? Every placing of the word has significance, right? If indeed it was about just the man, then why would Paul switch the order of the names at times in scripture? So now he's showing us the importance of Priscilla and Aquila, right? And he says this right here. He says, greet my helpers right and when you think about this word helpers helpers in the greek is defined as co-laborer co-laborer this is where you may find some people getting the term co-pastor from right but he says co-laborer companion in work co-adjutor right even this word co-adjutor it talks about being an assistant but when you dive deep into the word co-adjutor is also defined as a bishop a bishop that is assisting or helping a dicean bishop hmm could it be that Aquila them were actually bishops. I don't know. Co-pastors, I don't know, right? So it tells us, right, in, in that right there, we're looking at Priscilla and Aquila. So as we go down, it says, Who have for my life laid down their own necks unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentile. When Paul was in a tricky situation, they put their necks on the line. Verse 5 says, Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Oh, so, so greet the church that is in who house? Their house. Paul is making it inclusive in the house of Priscilla and Aquila. Greet the church that is in their house. And now when you do a little bit more study, they were well to do. Aquila was also a tent maker where he met Paul at out here in the field working. 
right? But they had enough. And the study says, okay, they actually had a church also in Ephesus too. Well-to-do had two churches. <laughs> Hence the term bishop, if you want to throw that around. Now, now, I'm not saying they're bishop, but I'm just saying you can see how it's possible. They had two churches within two houses that they actually own, that they're overseeing. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Epinetus, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. Right? Let's travel down in the same chapter. Or you know what? Better yet, sticking with their story, go to Acts chapter 18, verse 24 through 28, right? Acts chapter 18. It says, in a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. He's mighty in the scriptures, right? Came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. So the scripture he only knows about is, okay, he's well versed in the story of John the Baptist. Right? All right. It said he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Whom when Aquila and Priscilla, you see the order changing, but it's still both of them. Whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded. Cool. So who began to teach Apollos? Was it just Aquila? No, the scripture let us know Aquila and Priscilla took him unto themselves and expounded on him. What did they teach? The way of God more perfect. The word of God, this Christian faith, this Christian walk we talk about, faith, being in the faith. Not you just having faith, but being in the faith, meaning being in the way. Okay, let's give you a little bit more understanding. We like your boldness, and we like what you're already talking about, but let's add to it. Let's teach you a little bit more. Let's give you a little bit more foundation. Let's give you a little bit more understanding and principle so you can expand what it is that you know. Both of them spoke to him. Both of them taught him. All right, because see, for the people who talk about women can't teach, right? Now, we jump back over to Romans 16, right? Landing on verse number 6. Romans 16 and 6, right? Romans 16 and 6, it says, Greek Mary, Greek Mary, right? It says, Greek Mary, who bestowed much labor on us, right? Mary, what it's talking about, who did a lot of work for the church. Mary, who did a lot of work in the church. And this is not Mary the mother. This is not Mary Magdalene. This is a different Mary. But she did a lot of work for the church in the church. Right? Then when you drop down to verse 7, it says, Salute Andronicus. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsman. This is Paul. What does Paul write? Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsman, and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who were who also were in Christ before me. Right? So now you got the female, the first female apostle, right? Junia, the female apostle. Right. He, and Paul is saying salute Andronicus and Junior. Now watch this. She's not only the first female apostle. Right. But Paul says, this is my cousin. Oh, the, 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 the Andronicus and Junior apostles, which are my cousins, and they were locked up with me. Now, what was she locked up for? Because during this particular culture, they were locked up because they were preaching this gospel of Christ. It was a strange message that they were bringing to the people. And so this is why, you know, this message, it, it was as if they were threatening the culture. Talking about this, this new kingdom that was coming. Talking about this Messiah. You had Jews who thought they were preaching another version, a different gospel. So understand why they're being locked up. 
first female apostle. She's Paul's cousin, but she was also locked up with Paul. Then when you venture down in the scripture, it says, who are of note among the apostles? Right. When you talk about note, note is simply defined as they have been marked or they're viewed as being remarkable apostles. <laughs> a woman who's declared Paul is right. She's a remarkable apostle. Now, there may be a little bit of bias there because that's his cousin. I don't know, but still he had the pen. She's a remarkable apostle. Then when you drop further down in that same verse, right, it says what? Verse seven, it says, right, who who know among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Remember, before before Saul got converted into Paul, he was persecuting the church, all these different things. His cousin was already an apostle. So he's letting know she was an apostle long before me. She's been doing this thing longer than me. Could it be that while they were locked up, maybe he was asking for some pointers, give me a little bit of understanding about this thing. Help me out. How do you deal with being locked up? I don't know. I'm just giving you some insight. I'm, I'm just saying, right? Things to think about. In the same chapter, drop down to verse number 12, right? Because I'm showing you women that Paul is speaking to. S saluting, right? So in, in Romans 16, 12, it says salute Trifina, right? And Trifosa, who labored in the Lord, salute the beloved persons which labor much in the Lord. Again, women working in the Lord. Trifina and Trifosa are Christian women who worked in the Lord, right? Now, check this out. When we go over to the book of Philippians chapter number 4, and we start at verse number two. It says, I beseech Eodius and beseech Sintiche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And verse three says what? And I entreat thee also, true yoke fella, help those women. Yoke fella, another word that is describing the servant or, or, or co-laborer per se. But he said, okay, I entreat thee. He's a true yoke fella. Help those women which labor with me in the gospel. They labor with me in the gospel. He says, with Clement also and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Help them with whatever business they got. Whatever assistance that they need, help them. Right? Now, okay, I'm showing you. Paul is writing and he's showing you how he's saluting and he's speaking and he's greeting all these women. He's giving you examples of women who are speaking. Right? So let's look at some women who actually spoke. Let's go to Luke chapter number 2, verse number 36, right? It says, and there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, and she lived with her husband seven years from her virginity, right? And she was a widow of about fourscore and forty-four years, eighty-four years old, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers, prayer speech, right? Night and day. Go ahead, go ahead. And she coming in the instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that look. Stay right here, right? What's happening, we understand Christ has actually been dedicated by Simeon, right? He's been anointed and he's been dedicated. Remember, we gave you the foundation principle of a baby dedication. This is what's happening with Christ, the newborn baby. It's taking place in the temple. Simeon is giving the dedication and he's speaking to and over the life about Jesus Christ to the parents, Mary and Joseph. Mary, uh, uh, Anna comes in at that instant and gives thanks, right? There she go inside the temple. If a woman could not speak, she, what is she doing? She's supposed to be kicked out of the temple. She comes in giving praise. Not only does she comes in giving praise using the voice, she said, and spake of him. Because usually they'll say, well, I believe in women prophets. Prophets can prophesy because they're just speaking of something that is forthcoming. 
futuristic events, right? No, spake of him. He's currently there. Christ is currently there. She's speaking about him. And who did she speak to? To all them that were in the synagogue or the temple at that time. Men and women, the prophetess spoke to about Jesus Christ. All them that look for redemption in Jerusalem. She's basing your redemption is right here. This is your redemption right here. Not your redemption draw nigh. Your redemption is right here. She spoke to men and women in the temple, in the synagogue. Hmm. Let's look at, let's, let's stay in Luke, but let's go over to Luke 24, verse 9 through 10, right? It says, and return from the sepulcher. And told all these things unto the eleven and all the rest. Mind you, when he was being crucified, right, all the disciples who had become apostles, they, they, they ran with their tail between their legs, right, except for John and the women, right? And when he was buried, it said, it was Mary, look at these women right here. It was Mary Magdalene, it was Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, right, and other women that were with them which told these things unto the apostles, Right? That he is risen. The Bible says what? If, if you go back to, go back to uh, verse number nine, right? And returned from the sepulcher and told, right? And told. This word told is defined in the Greek as, because notice when we say we're preaching, we're proclaiming. When we're teaching, we're explaining. Preaching is a heralding out, right? Or a proclaiming or a declaring. This word told in the Greek is proclaiming or to declare. So the women, this is where you find them. Most people in churches, they will only give a title to a woman, a missionary. She's going to either be a mother or she could be an evangelist, right? Some are inclined to call you a prophetess. But this is where we see the first evangelist right here. They're acting as evangelists, right, to go and proclaim good news. Yagilion, right, evangelists to go and proclaim good news. So they're running with good news and proclaiming it to the actual disciples, the ones who sat with him for three and a half years. But the women got the message first, the first message of the gospel. It came from the mouth of women. And, 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 and notice, right? Think about women who had an audience with Jesus. The woman caught in adultery, the woman with the issue of blood, the woman at the well. They didn't have no mediator between them and Christ. They spoke to Christ and Christ spoke back to them. Again, look at the woman at the well. She has such an encounter with God that she went and began to speak and declare to men in her city. Well, say, I won't believe unless I see it myself. Okay, you believe somewhat because you went to go see if I was lying. And it talks about after they saw him, had an encounter with how they changed their life. The word came from the mouth of a woman. Right? And, and my last scripture, right? Let's look at Ephesians chapter number five. Ephesians chapter number five. Right? Ephesians chapter number five, verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, right, and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, even as the Lord the church. 
for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband, right? Now, what are we giving you? We're giving you uh, the relationship between husbands and wives. And in this, Paul is giving you an image of what it is between the church and Christ. Now, we oftentimes refer to the church as the body of Christ, uh, also as the bride of Christ, for Christ is the bridegroom, right? Now, this is my thing. Paul tells us that we are all members of this body, members of this body that we look at as being the church or the bride of Christ. So it doesn't matter whether you male or female. It doesn't matter your sex, right? You are, if you are calling yourself a Christian, Christian, you are a part of this body. So now this is my thing. When men talk about women cannot speak. Well, every time, if you're a believer and you confess in Christ, whether you man or female in a pulpit, and mind you, the only place you see pulpit is in the book of Ezra. Pulpit, that's the only time you find pulpit, because most of them, they can't come behind this sacred desk. You only find pulpit in the book of Ezra. Right? So understand. Notice, whether you're male or female, and you're declaring proclaiming, preaching the gospel, the good news of Christ, you are a member of the body. The body, which is pointed to as being feminine, female, bride. What am I really saying? Don't matter your gender. If you're declaring here in the earth realm as a believer, preacher, prophet, apostle, you're speaking from the body. So the body, the bride is speaking about the bridegroom. And you say a woman can't speak. But, but regardless of your gender, if you're speaking, you are a member of the body. The body is referred to as the bride. When you preach man, when you preach apostle man, when you preach prophet man, when you preach woman, because she's just a man with a womb, the body, the bride is actually speaking. So listen, I just wanted to hit you with that because notice there was a culture that's trying to cancel out the voice of a woman. And notice that Paul said every voice has signification. A voice is used as a sign to, to point you, direct you with instructions in the right direction. If the women did not go and do what Christ told them to go and tell my disciples, right? They could not have been pointed in the right direction. They would have still been crying, talking about maybe we believed in the wrong person. No, the voice of the word that they proclaimed unto them got them in the right direction for them to get up and become the apostles. It came off of the message that came from the mouth of a woman, first from the mouth of God. So that's my little soliloquy right there, but I'm going to pass this thing over to Minister Nadej. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Pastor Lincoln. Um, as we are continuing this teaching of kingdom over culture, looking at cancel culture, I'm going to be looking um, at cancel culture as it's seen within the church. And so I want to bring up real quick the definition. And so cancel culture is actually defined as the mass 
withdrawal of support from public figures or celebrities who have done things that aren't socially accepted today. Um, the practice of canceling or a mass shaming often occurs on social media platforms such as Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. I want you guys to really key in on the word withdrawal and the word shaming because you're about to see it again in God's word. And so reading from 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 15, it says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know that for yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Amen. Um, as I said, I'm looking at cancel culture within the church. I thought this was really interesting and cool because I always thought cancel culture was something that social media and society created. And so to find out that it actually was started in the Bible, uh, it was very um, interesting to see that because what you know we're gonna talk about is that cancel culture in the world is not like cancel culture in the church because the end results are different and the methods are even different. And so we're gonna look at that even further. And so um, starting out with verse, Six, it says, now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition when he received of us. And a quick overview of, you know, this chapter and even the, these passages is that Paul had um, written a letter out to the church that was in Thessalonians uh, dealing with um, the disorderly conduct that was taking place there. And the disorderly con con uh, conduct that was taking place there was that the people were idle, um, the people did not want to work, um, the people did not want to minister, um, the people got very lazy, um, the people um, were turning to become um, busybodies, and Paul had to deal with this. And it's interesting because uh, a couple of chapters before, Paul had already told you know different leaders and different people in the church to warn against this um, behavior, to warn against this unacceptable behavior within the church, and they did. They they tried to admonish, you know, different brothers and sisters in the church, um, but this behavior actually continued. 
And so when Paul is writing to them again to try to deal with this again, he's basically telling the church that they need to take stronger action. And the stronger action that he told them to implement was this, this method of like council culture um, within the church. Um, he understood, you know, from even Paul's like, you know, studying of the Old Testament teaching, he understood the, the severity and the importance of dealing with this behavior um, because he understood that, you know, with any unchecked behavior, it could create a monster, you know, um, you know, within your midst. And, you know, what Paul was saying to them is that, you know, when you let things like idleness or laziness or, um, you know, just not, you know, doing what you need to do within, you know, within the church, you know, that that unchecked, you know, behavior actually leads them to a place of being busybodies, meaning that they're, you know, when you look at the word in the Greek, it means that they're meddlers. And this is where you find people who are either gossiping, they're complaining, um, they're bickering, um, they're finding themselves in everybody else's business. They're saying things that they should not say. They're doing things that they should not do. Um, they're finding that they have so much time on their hands um, that they're using it that time to do things that are not productive and that could be very harmful and destructive to the vision and to the will of God within the church. And so Paul understood that he had to really get to the root of this and really deal with this on another level because just saying something to the, to the people wasn't enough. It wasn't convicting them. It wasn't bringing on a change. And so, you know, a more stronger, I don't want to say severe, but a more stronger action that needed to take place was actually, you know, to implement this council culture. And so we're going to look at that, you know, in this verse. And so looking at, you know, the beginning, I want to pull up uh, my definition for withdrawal because, you know, this is what, you know, Paul is saying to the people to do. And when you think of withdrawal, think of it as an act or a process of taking something away or taking it back um, so that is no longer available or possessed or someone stopping their involvement in an activity. And so this is what, you know, Paul was saying to the people of Thessalonians, that when you identify that there's those among you that are doing things that are disorderly, that are going against, you know, what should be taking place, you know, within the church in terms of activities and involvement, um, that you need, to, you need to withdraw yourself from that um, person. Uh, meaning you're no longer making yourself available. You're no longer allowing them to have that level of access or be in a way to possess you in that way or have a level of involvement of activity with you. Um, when it comes to the world, this is what they're doing when it comes to different public figures and celebrities. They're literally withdrawing their support by either unfollowing them, unfriending them, um, not purchasing, you know, different, you know, um, items maybe that are part of their business or um, you might find that, you know, they may not be listening to their mu um, music or going to watch their movies or, you know, not, you know, supporting them in any other way. Maybe it's not, you know, um, uh, giving them, you know, donations financially, you know, whatever it is, that person is taking those things away to show that person that I'm making, you know, a decision to step back, you know, from you. I'm making a decision to stop my involvement with you. And this is what Paul is saying that the people of the church actually needed to 
implement and practice when it came to this cancellation, this uh, cancel culture, um, is to withdraw yourself, withdraw yourself in this way. Um, because the more, what I found when I was looking at this is that the, the core of this was that part of withdrawing, it was, it, was, it was showing two things. It was dealing with reinforcement and it was also dealing with cancellation. And so I wanna look at this definition for reinforce. And when you're reinforcing something, it means that you're strengthening it or, supp or, or support an existing feeling, idea, belief, behavior, or habit, and you're making it, you're, it's to make something stronger. And so what Paul was literally saying to the Thessalonians is that if you didn't withdraw yourself from those individuals that you know that are doing disorderly things within the church, what you're really doing as you continue to uh, socialize with them, stay connected with them on a social level, is that you're strengthening, you're even giving your full support of whatever they're feeling, whatever the ideas in their mind is, whatever their beliefs are, whatever that behavior is, or whatever that habit is, that they're having a hard time letting go of, they're having a hard time changing, they're having a hard time repenting of, Basically, what you're doing is you're making it stronger. You're causing that person to think, I could continue in this place, I could continue to do this, because guess what? You're still here by my side. Guess what? You're still hanging out with me. Guess what? You're still chilling with me. Guess what? You're not saying anything to me, but you're giving me that quality time. You're giving me that attention. You're giving me that connection. And to me, if you're doing all that, you must be okay with what I'm doing. And what God was showing me was that part of withdrawal is that it literally challenges this place of reinforcement and it shifts into a place of cancellation. And so I want to look at the definition for cancellation. And so when it comes to cancellation, it's a decision to stop something from taking place, happening, or, or stopping an order for something. And so what God was showing me is that culture I mean, uh, cancel culture within the church is, is honestly very effective. And if you implement it in the right way, it literally could cancel out disorderly behavior that is occurring within the body and what, um, what that disorderly conduct or behavior or habit is occurring in that person. And so it has the power, the influence, to be very effective to do that. And we see this in modern day. We see this on social media. Do you know what I mean? Celebrities and public figures have like cried a river and went on apology tours just because people canceled them, canceled their support of them, canceled their following of them, canceled giving them money, canceled their attention towards them. It literally has caused people to humble themselves, to make real changes. Uh, to come to a place of apology, to come to a place of feeling sorry, feeling guilty, ashamed, to actually deal with, you know, that behavior that they thought was okay, that behavior that has been going on unchecked. And this is what this verse is saying, is that it's saying when you're withdrawing yourself from a brother, it's not that you're just doing it just to do it. It said that you're withdrawing yourself from a brother that walketh, disorderly, meaning that this person has been deliberately following this course of action, 
deliberately doing these behaviors and these habits that they know is bringing disorder into the body, disorder into the church, bringing that that area of even confusion in the church. You know, this person is literally persistently practicing these behaviors and these habits. It's not like it's an occasional lapse of judgment. It's not like it's an occasional place of a mistake. It's not like it's an occasional place of error. Like this is deliberate, deliberate. And this is why Paul is saying it takes a stronger action to deal with this because you're dealing with a strong set of behaviors that is being, you know, that's positioned in a place that it's, it's, Un, is, hasn't been movable, it hasn't been changeable, and it hasn't been in a place that that person feels convicted in. And so you have to combat that <laughs> stronghold or combat that what that's going on in that person to try to cancel it out with them. You have to do that by trying by actually withdrawing from them. And so I thought that was you know you know interesting because what Paul was saying is that part of the person you and I, when we're walking disorderly within the church, you know, we have to understand it's because we're not walking after the tradition which was given to us and which we said we receive. We said, you know, we would follow. We said we would obey. We said we would do. And so when we look at the word tradition, um, by definition, um, tradition means that it's an inherited established or customary pattern of thought, action, or behavior, such as a religious practice or a social custom. And so this is what, you know, Paul is trying to deal with is that when we come into the body of Christ and we come into the church, there are inherited, established, customary patterns of thought, actions and behaviors that we're supposed to be practicing like pastor lincoln and pastor katrina are going to cover these are the social customs of our ministries we understand that we have to have a mindset that's set on christ and on the word of truth and having it thoroughly cleansed on a daily basis we know that our actions need to be pure it needs it needs to be in in alignment with god's word with his purpose and with his will we know that our behaviors you know what people see us doing how we're acting you know we know our behaviors have to be in alignment with what god has said and so each time each of us have come into our respective ministries with this this uh, uh, decision we made, with this choice that we made, that we're going to inherit this, you know, set of traditions. We're going to inherit these set of customs to live by socially and to live by within our homes. And what Paul is dealing with is that when we get to a place of idleness, laziness, busybodiness, we literally are forfeiting these traditions that God gave us. We're not following them. We're not implementing them. We're literally in a place of rebellion where we're trying to create our own patterns of thoughts that we think should be followed, our own patterns of actions, our own patterns of behaviors that go against these things. And we're doing it, the sad part is we're doing it within the church. Like Paul wasn't dealing with people outside of the church. He wasn't dealing with unbelievers. He was dealing with believers, brothers and sisters within the church that are thinking that they could take the easy way out, thinking that they could combine 
you know, their tradition with God's tradition, not wanting to separate these traditions, not wanting to cancel out these old traditions that we need to let go of when we come into the church, trying to think that they could blend it together, trying to think that they could keep it together, trying to think that they could convince other people to believe the same way that they're believing when when in actuality it's going against God's word. And this is what this is at the heart of what Paul was trying to deal with. He was trying to deal with this thing in the church. He was trying to deal with the core of this in the church, and he was trying to root it out before it spread even further, before it caused even more damage, before it caused even more harm. He was looking to root this out of the church, and he was actually using cancel culture to do this, using the act of withdrawal to cancel out these thoughts, these actions, these behaviors within us that we are refusing to let go of, we're refusing to repent of, we're refusing to change. And so in doing this, you know, Paul was basically saying that this was out of love. You know, it was out of kindness to do this. It was out of compassion, you know, to do this. This was, you know, coming from a place you know, it was coming from a place not to uh, uh, cause that person to feel rejected. It wasn't to cause that person to not even, it wasn't even to try to even cause them to not be a member. You know, it, it reminds me of how even in um, the Catholic Church, they will excommunicate people for not following the, the established, you know, customary patterns of traditions within the church. They'll take away your membership. They'll tell you, you know, you can't step foot into, you know, this church building ever again. We don't want to see you. Go away. You know, they, they are ruthless about this, you know. And so, but what Paul was saying was that, you know, even though in the world, you know, we see how people get very ruthless about cancel culture, the difference of of us as believers, because we're, we're looking at kingdom over culture. When it comes to kingdom council culture, it literally comes from a place of love. Like you love that person so much. You care about that person so much that add a compassion because you don't want, you know, that person or yourself to continue in that place. You are literally taking, and it's not easy, it's painful. You're, you're taking this stance to withdraw yourself from that person in the hopes that it will cause a change in the hopes that it will cause that person to come to themselves in the hopes that it will cause that person to feel sorry, ashamed of their behavior and to turn from it, you know, to, to really repent of it before God. It literally was a place out of a place of love. And so this is where as a world we've twisted cancel culture and we continue to even try to uh, do it within the church. But God is saying, no, that this is there's a, the, the right way to do it is when we're looking at, you know, these verses, uh, when we're uh, thinking about that, when we're thinking about this. And so looking at verse seven, it says, <clears throat> for yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly orderly among you. And so I want to look at the definition for disorderly. And uh, by definition, it means that you're engaged in conduct that's offensive to public order, um, as Pastor Lincoln was talking about, uh, is causing a disturbance, um, is violating the public peace or safety, it's messy, is acting badly, 
is, I mean, well, it is acting badly, but it's badly organized, it's completely unordered, it's unpredictable, and it's confusing. And so this is what Paul was uh, dealing with when he was even just using him as an example. He was saying to the people, you want to know how to not act disorderly? I've been giving you guys examples time and time again of how to, you know, how to operate within the church. You know, I could have been acting disorderly, but I chose not to. And, you know, what he used as an example is that he himself as an apostle was working and he had a trade that he had. Um, he had uh he has skills that he had, you know, from, you know, growing up that he learned that he used to even, you know, produce um, a level of finance for him. Even though Paul was, you know, could have received, you know, uh, support from the church and he was do it. He wanted to show them, you know, on another level how to conduct themselves and to understand that he wasn't a man that was just trying to bark out orders at the people in the church. He wasn't trying to control the people in the church. He literally was walking out what he said. He literally was actively doing what he was command, what he said in the, you know, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ was commanding them to do. He literally was doing kingdom over culture before them. And what I thought, when I looked at this, I thought about it and I was just like, well, God, I think one of the reasons why you know, we have a hard time with wanting to withdraw ourselves from one another when, you know, we're doing things that are disorderly is that, you know, it's because, you know, we have a hard time cutting that because we are not really good examples of it ourselves. And so we can't, I mean, I know I can't have the testimony of Paul and be like, well, you ought to follow me, you know, see that I have not been behaving, you know, myself disorderly among you when I know I have. And so for me, it's hard for me to think like, okay, God, I need to withdraw myself from another person when I'm the one that needs to be withdrawn from. And so it was just like humbling to me because it was just like, God, you know, you could only you could only make a statement like this if you are literally being an example of what you know you should be doing what you should be saying and when you're not doing as you say when you're not you know uh um you know being that that example within the body of christ instead you're finding yourself doing a lot of foulness a lot of messiness a lot of disorderly things a lot of foolishness you know a lot of things in error like you know <laughs> instead of you know actually changing it you're just like well maybe i will continue to join in and socialize with you because it's not like i'm doing what i need to do we may not be doing the same disorderly thing but i recognize you're disorderly to my disorderly whatever that is and so what you know the 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 conviction here is is that when you're trying to cancel out this level of behavior, this disorderly behavior in the church, you have to really be honest with yourself. You have to really seek yourself out and be like, okay, God, where is my disorderly behavior where I'm unpredictable in this church that I'm in? I'm bringing confusion in this church. My life is not organized the way it needs to be in this church. It's completely unordered right now. It's messy that it's literally violating, you know, the public peace and safety of this of this ministry It's causing a disturbance in this ministry. It's literally 
offensive to the order of this ministry. You know, where seek, you know, search me, God, to help me to deal with that. Because if I really want to be an example to others and I want to be an example in withdrawing, I really have to check that within myself first. I really need to, to uh, deal with that within me first and to not look for the easy way possible to get by in the church because we don't do that in other areas of our lives we give you know we give more to so many other areas of our lives than we are giving to the to our church than we are giving to our relationship with god than we are giving to the calling that is upon our lives we're we're, we're letting that fall to the wayside as we try to prop up everything else you know and try to make everything else be uh, ordered and, and, and put together on the surface, but deep down within us, we're not ordered. And we're <laughs> deep down within us, we're dealing with so much stuff. But Paul was saying to, to, to the people that there is a way to behave. And we, each of us, we do have so many people in our ministries that are seasoned, that we could look to, that we could partner up with to actually deal with this. We don't have to remain in a place that's disorderly. There's been so many examples that we've seen from our apostle, you know, Clavin Leonard to, you know, how we see our, the different pastors and, and the different ministers and elders and uh, different prophets of our house and, and, you know, different leaders in our house or even different members in our, in our house. It doesn't even take you know, a title uh, uh, to, 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 to for it to be effective. Some people really understand order. Some people really understand keeping peace and safety wherever they are at. Some people really understand, you know, not bringing confusion, you know, where they're at. And it's no different for them when they're in the church. And so this is what, you know, Paul is looking for us to do is that we know how we ought to act. And that's the thing. It's not like we don't know you know, what that tradition is. It's not like we don't know what we need to be doing. We actually do. We know what we ought to do. We know how we ought to speak. We know how we ought to behave. But it takes that level of maturity, you know, even to be able to, 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 to look and say, okay, I'm not doing what I ought to do. I'm not following the examples that have been placed before me. Physical, daily examples over years and years and years that have been placed before me, you know, to show me how to not behave disorderly and I'm not doing it. But this is what Paul is saying that there's no excuse. You can't say you don't know. You can't say, why are these people withdrawing from me? You can't say, why are these people trying to cancel out this behavior in me? You know, <laughs> I know <laughs> why this is happening. We know. And so it's not like we could complain it's not like we could gaslight. It's not like, you know, we could try to manipulate out of this. We know how we ought to behave. And this is what Paul was dealing with. And looking at verse uh, 14, it says, And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. And so um, here Paul elaborates even more about what that withdrawal looks like. And so we're going to look at the definition for company. And the definition for company is that it's the fact or condition of being with another or others, especially in a way that provides friendship, enjoyment, and association. 
And so this is what Paul is saying to the people is that once you find that individual, you and I, um, that are not obeying the word, you know, we've gotten the warnings, we've gotten, gotten the admonishments, we've gotten the counseling, you know, we've gotten the hand-holding, we've gotten the grace and the mercy, which is all great, guys. I'm not taking away from that because I thank God for all of those. Um, but this is because we've gotten all these things and nothing is happening, right? Nothing is changing. Every, we're stubborn. We're continuing to be rebellious. We're con- con- continuing to be secretive. We're doing all those things. Um, Paul is saying, you know, make note of that person. Identify them among your midst. Good Lord. Identify and note that person and have no company with them. And basically what Paul is saying, you have to cease providing a level of friendship. Like, Lord, that is hard, you know, especially with all the things we deal with to not have a level of friendship with a person. You know, you, you know, you don't have that access to pour out to them. You don't have that access to talk to them. You don't have, you know, that access to spend time with them. You're not doing those things that you enjoy together. they're not even associating with you on that level anymore. You know, this is what Paul is saying when he's saying to have no company with them. You're taking away these things because, again, out of love, you're looking to cancel out that disorderly behavior in that person. And the more you provide friendship, you provide enjoyment, you're providing association, is not going to provoke that person to want to change because they're not going to feel like they're missing out on anything. They're not going to feel like they lost anything. They're not going to feel, you know, any kind of level of conviction about anything. And what, you know, Paul was trying to deal with is that is is that unrepentance. And to deal with that unrepentance, it takes that level of disconnection because the more and more you remain connected to that unrepentance, you might find yourself, you know, wanting to do the same thing. Like a verse above it, it was telling the people, you know, to, to not get weary in well-doing because it didn't want the people that actually, you know, were doing what they need to do in, in the ministry to not look at what was being disorderly around them and think like, well, you know, God, why should I continue to do what's good? It doesn't seem that there's any, like, consequences. It doesn't seem like there's any change coming, you know, from, you know, those those around me that are being disorderly. And what Paul was trying to do, even in the disconnection of company keeping, is that it was trying to even preserve those in the body that actually were, you know, doing as they ought to do because the more the connection remained, the more it was the possibility that that person would want to veer into idleness, laziness, disorder, disorderly conduct themselves. Because in their mind, they're like, well, it's not like it's any different. We both are here. You know, why should I be doing all this work? Why should I be doing all this effort? Why should I be carrying all this load? I might as well join, you know, the the disorderly crowd. They seem to be having it going together right now. They seem to have it easy. And so this is what, you know, Paul was trying to deal with twofold in that cancel culture of that, be, you know, that disorderly behavior in the church is that he didn't want it to further further spread but he also understood if you keep company with anything you start to act the same way as that company because you already know that that disordered conduct is not going anywhere it's it's there it's it's been unrepented it's not you know the person's not repenting of it they're they're stubborn in it they're doing it so what's going to happen you keep keeping company with them 
you're going to start trying to act and behave and think and talk and, and, and have those habits and do it yourself because you don't think doing otherwise is worth it. You don't see being, you know, remaining uh, doing good as worth it. And so this is, you know, what Paul was even trying to deal with is that, you know, faithful believers, they have to, you know, I know it's, it, it, I know sometimes it feels hard to continue to be the strong ones, but sometimes you just have to because that's the only way to draw those among us that are struggling and those among us that are weak, you know, you and I that are, are, that are in bad, uh, you know, places or areas of our mind or heart or our spirit, that's the only way to draw us back you know, into the fellowship of, you know, the, the, the custom and the culture of the kingdom. And so this is what, you know, Paul was dealing with, and he got to the root of it by dealing with the area of socialization. And I want to look at the definition for that real quick. And so the uh, uh, so socialization is defined as the process whereby an individual learns to adjust to a group or society and behave in a manner approved by the group or society. The whole process of learning is a central influence on the behavior, the beliefs, and the actions of adults as well as children. And so this is very basic. You know, socialization is very basic. And so what Paul was dealing with when he was saying cut the company out is literally he was dealing with this area of socialization. It wasn't that you don't talk to the person anymore. It's not that you don't love the person anymore. You're just not socializing with the person anymore. There's a big difference between socialization. We know so many people, they literally just come to, to church just for socialization. They're not coming to do anything else. So imagine cutting that off. <laughs> it will, you know, it literally will force you to focus on your behavior, your beliefs, and your actions. And this is um, interesting because when I was looking at socialization, there's five um, levels of socializations, but I'm only going to look at two. Um, the first one is primary socialization. Um, this is dealing with, um, as a child, how you learn your values, your norms, and your behaviors. It shows you um, the order in which you should live according to a specific you know, culture. Um, basically, a quick example of, of this is as a child, if you see your parent you know, misbehaving, maybe they're treating somebody badly, you know, that child will think and grow up to believe that that behavior is socially acceptable and they will start to talk or behave badly towards other people too because, you know, they saw you as a parent doing this. And so this is what Paul is dealing with is this primary level of socialization when he's saying to cut out you know, your company with those among you in the church that are acting disorderly. Because if you continue to keep that socialization, you're telling that person it's socially acceptable to act like this within the church. Like it's socially acceptable to act like this before God and it's not. And so even taking it to the fundamental area of, you know, childhood development, this is how far Paul had to go with the people is he had to go to a fundamental level with them is like, okay, you see how I'm acting, but you're not doing it. So I'm going to have to cut my socialization from you so that you can really understand that this is just not acceptable. Like it's not acceptable behavior, you know, within the church in the hopes of getting that person to the level five of, of uh, socialization, which is re-socialization, uh, re meaning this involves the person rejecting previous patterns 
of behaviors and accepting new ones so that the individual could shift one part of their life into another area. And so, AKA maturing, growing up, right. developing. And so this is what Paul is trying to do is like when you cut that company keeping with that disorderly behavior that's happening in the church, you know, it will cancel out that behavior, but it's going to help that person to re-socialize because they're going to recognize, okay, this behavior really cannot continue anymore. This behavior really needs to be canceled out. This behavior really needs to be stopped. And I need to really learn new ways of behaving, behaving that are in alignment with kingdom culture, that are in alignment with what I agreed to when I became a member and a partaker of the kingdom of God. And this is what Paul is trying to get the people to, is to, uh, is, is to not feel a sense of rejection from the lack of socialization, but to use rejection in a way to reject those, those, those disorderly behaviors that are happening, to have an aversion to it, to literally say, you know, cut your ties from that behavior so you can re-socialize yourself back into the body of Christ under the covering and the safety and the order that the church of God provides to each of us. And so this is what, you know, Paul was trying to get, you know, uh, the people, um, you know, in the church to be able to get to a point to do. And he said that, you know, one of the biggest effective factors of being able to get a person from going from their primary level of socialization to that place of re-socialization is that he used shame to do it. And so we're going to look at um, the definition for being ashamed. And that means you're feeling very sorry, you're guilty, you're feeling foolish, you're feeling embarrassed because of something you have done and that it will make you reluctant to do it again. And so shame should actually, you shouldn't just stop at, I feel bad, I feel sorry, I feel embarrassed, I feel guilty, or I feel foolish because of what I have done. Uh, when you're really, you know, when shame is used in an effective way, it is supposed to make you reluctant to do it again. It's supposed to make you reluctant to go back to that behavior. It's supposed to make you reluctant in trying to repeat that behavior. And as we had talked earlier, the people were actually actively walking in that place of disorderly conduct. They were literally actively doing this persistently and consistently. It was a pattern, a habit. And so what the shame is, it's supposed to not only trigger your mind, it's supposed to trigger your mind, your heart, your soul, your very body to be like, yo, I can feel it on so many levels that I'm going to be reluctant to do this again. And so what's interesting is that when you're looking at the purpose, you know, of um, the shame is that, you know, it was supposed to be a corrective measure and not to be a form of punishment. Because a lot of times I struggle with this. Sometimes I, I think shame is like a, a punitive or a, a, an area that I'm being punished in. And because of that, you know, you know, instead I'm letting it afflict pain on me. But no, when you're using shame in the body of Christ, and we're talking about kingdom over culture, you know, in the kingdom, God actually uses shame as an area that is remedial. It's a corrective place. It's supposed to bring healing. You know, it's supposed to bring restoration. It's supposed to bring you back to 
you know, that place where you should have been in in the first place. And so he uses that. He uses our emotion, emotions. He knows how we're very emotional and we feel so much. And so he, he uses that in an effective way, you know, not to punish us, not to inflict pain on us, but to do that. And what Paul is saying to the people is the same thing. Don't use a person feeling bad as a weapon against them. Like, don't use a person feeling guilty. Like, it's a place to, to, to give honor to God that they even feel shame. Some people never feel shame about what they're doing that is wrong. Like, they never get to that place in them. And so they're, they're never able to change or to shift their mindset or to shift how they feel or to shift their behaviors because they don't feel ashamed. They don't feel no level of shame about it. They're not embarrassed about it. About it they don't feel guilty about it and so if you get to if you get a person to feel like that Paul is saying is like you know you don't dig in deeper you don't try to punish them you don't try to inflict pain on them but use that shame in a place of love to bring them to a place of healing and restoration and to uh, bring them into a place of correction and with my last verse it says um, yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. And we're going to look very quickly at the verse for admonish. And admonish by definition means you're, you're warning, you're counseling, you're cautioning, you're urging or advising someone not to do something or something to be avoided. And you're it's to tell someone that they have done something wrong and usually in a kind way. And this is the key um, to um, as we were wrapping this up that you know cancel culture like I said it actually started in the Bible not social media not this word but it's been perverted and twisted in this world when it's used in the context of kingdom over culture it is a form of not causing those around you to feel like an enemy not causing them to feel like you know they 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 you know that they have you know no way no way back but it's it's literally god is looking for you to continue even in that you know withdrawing continue to warn you know a person continue to provide them counseling of you know what they're doing you know that god is looking to change you know continue to caution them and to urge them and to advise them you know about what they're doing be kind be compassionate you know as you're dealing with you know something that you know god has said is you know is wrong that goes against you know the the culture of the kingdom you know when you're doing this you know it's not about you know you know when you're breaking off like you know, that, you know, social con contact from that person, know that that's, that you're, that's, uh, uh, you're going far enough with that. Don't look to, 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 um, you know, do more by trying to make a person feel like an outcast, like the world does, you know, the world, world never tries to restore or bring healing or reinstate that person that they have canceled out. They literally want to forget them. They never want to see them again. They never want to deal with them again. And that is not, you know, the mentality of the kingdom when we're dealing with this. You know, but God is looking, like I said, you know, to literally reinstate us back into that place that we should be in, you know, through a place of uh, compassion and love. And so I encourage all of us, you know, as we practice, you know, this canceling out of these disorderly um, behaviors, um, do it the kingdom way and not the world's way. Amen. And I'm going to pass it on to Pastor Katrina. I'll be reading for you verses 30 and 31. And then I'm going to go down to uh, chapter 14, verse 4 through 7. Amen. 
So come on and go with me. We're going to Numbers 13, verse 30 and 31. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the man that went up with him said, I'm sorry, but the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And go over to chapter four, verse seven. I'm sorry, verse four. And it says, and they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return unto Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding great land. I'm sorry, good land. Amen. Exceeding good land. Amen. And so today I'm going to still be talking about the cancel culture. Amen. But, the, but where I'm coming from is the canceling of the voice of truth that's within you. And so I really want to really, you know, we, we're talking about the church and how the council culture comes to cancel out the church, the word of God. We looked at women of God, the bride of Christ. Amen. We, uh, uh, minister Nadesh talked about within the church. And so now God gave me the, the, the task to talk about the canceling of the voice of truth that's within you. Come on, you didn't even know that the the culture, that the cancel culture, it was for to cancel out the voice of truth. What is the voice of truth? The voice of God. Come on, what God has spoken, what God had said, come on, to cancel out the kingdom. Amen. We know that the culture wants to cancel out the kingdom of God and really the truth about the kingdom of God. And so I'm going to go ahead and go on into it. And so here in uh, chapter 13 of Numbers, I love this because what happened is that the Lord spoke to Moses and he said, Moses, he said, I want you to go and I want you to, I want you to select the, the, the captains of, of the tribes and I want them to go into Canaan and I want them to scope out the land. I want you to send some spies over there so you can see exactly what I want to give to the people. And so Moses, he got up, he followed the instructions of God. He sent them into Canaan. He gave them instructions. He said, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go up by the mountain. You're going to go this way. You're going to go into the land. You're going to tell us what's there. You're going to tell us if it's a good land, if it's not a good land. He said, we want to know about the people that are there. And they be he began to tell them what they needed to find out when they go. So they went. When they went, they spot out the land. They grabbed some grapes on the way out. Come on, God bless them on the way out. They got before the people. They got back to Moses and they told the people, they said, listen, it, it is a good land. That's what they begin to tell them. They said, it is a good land. They said, but nevertheless, the people are strong that dwell in the land. So immediately, even after they gave what was good about the land, the people begin to say, nevertheless, these people are strong there in the land. And so they begin to paint this whole picture about what was there in Canaan, what God had promised them. They begin to create this whole picture of, you know, I, we can't do this and how great it was and how great of the challenge it would be. And so that's what we find ourselves here in verse 30. And it says, Caleb stilled the people before Moses. And I love this because Caleb stood up and he said, let me help steal the people. Because see, if you know anything about the cancel culture, what it does, it begins to make, make the people afraid to say what they really feel. It makes you afraid to speak the truth. Because some of y'all are so afraid of what to say, how to say it, 
maybe I shouldn't say that. You know, maybe I shouldn't look this way. Come on, anybody know like me that struggle with facial expression? Like, God, I'm trying not to look crazy. You know, God, I'm trying to look right. I'm trying not to be dismissive, God. You know, all these different things. And so what happens is that the culture puts a fear in the kingdom of God. It shouldn't be so. Come on, it will put a fear in the kingdom of God that we can't speak the truth. Come on, because Caleb had to say, let me steal the people. Y'all, the people were scared out of their mind. They was, you know, they, they were just antsy. Y'all know what I'm saying. Come on, antsy. It was uneasy. Come on, glory to God. They, they were so afraid, you know, even though they knew what God had said, what happened was this report was brought to fear the people, to the cause the people, amen, to become so fearful that they could not believe the report of the Lord. And so Caleb had to come and steal them. Come on. So God is saying, you know, you got to be still. You got to settle in God. You got to settle on the truth. Come on, because some of us are not settled on the truth. You know the truth. Come on. But what the culture say is true. What society say is true. Come on. And, and, and what everybody else around you and your co-workers and everybody else say the truth. You have not settled in on the truth. Come on. And you got to settle down today. Come on. You got to settle down in the truth. Don't allow what people say around you to cancel out. Come on. What God has said. If God said live holy. I'm going to settle down in that and I'm going to live holy. Come on. If the Lord said that I can't go in and out of the world and party and do whatever and come back in, even though the culture says that, I have to settle down in the truth. Come on, glory to God. If the culture says, come on, go back to the senior pastor lane. The culture says, as a woman of God, you shouldn't be preaching. You shouldn't be speaking. You know, you shouldn't have nothing to say. Come on, you got to say, mm -mm, God, I'm going to settle down into the truth. Come on. And, and as uh, Minister Nadesh was saying, some people will come and bring you all kind of stuff. You got to say, God, I'm going to settle down. Come on, I'm going to be still in the truth, the truth of what God has said, the truth of what God has spoken to me. Come on, the truth that I know my leader has spoken to me, this ministry. Come on, glory to God. When I went into prayer, what things that God showed me, come on, I'm going to settle down in that truth. And so Caleb said, he steals the people. He steals the people. And he said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. So I love this because, you know, uh, Minister Nadesh was just talking about this. Sometimes we feel like, you know, I got it. She talked about how we're living and that we can't live disorderly. But then people feel like, well, because I don't have a title that I don't have to live. You know, I can I don't have to follow those lines. I don't have to live that holy like that. You know, like I can live 75 percent holy, but I'm not a preacher. So let them handle 100 percent. Come on. But but that's not the truth. Amen. And I love this because Caleb didn't wait for somebody else to speak the truth. He wasn't sitting around saying, well, why Moses ain't saying nothing? Why Moses ain't got the truth? Come on, why Moses not talking? Come on, because Moses probably at the time was like, I don't know what's going on. Come on, Moses probably like, I know what God said, but look at the people and look at this report. And I'm, I'm quite sure Moses is trying to read the room and trying to figure this whole thing out. But Caleb stood up. Come on, you got to, that's what I always say. If you know that there needs to be a change, then you start the change. Don't know it needs to be a change and something needs to be done and you're looking at somebody else to do it. Come on, because if God gave it to you, 
then you do it. Come on. If God gave you that truth, you do it. Amen. We don't like that. Glory to God. Because we feel like somebody else needs to do it. Let Moses do it. Let, you know, let, let Aaron do it. Let somebody else do it. But I don't really want to do it. So I want to say that because there, the, the cancel culture comes to cancel out the voice of truth. And some of you are not speaking the voice of truth because you're waiting for somebody else to do it. You're waiting for somebody else to speak up. You're waiting for somebody else to speak to your children. You're waiting for somebody else to speak to your family. Come on, let, let grandmama, she older, she can speak to the family. No, God is saying you speak to the family. You pull them together. You say, y'all, this is what God has said. These are the things that we need to be doing. Come on, glory to God. And so Caleb, he stood up, amen, and he said, listen, he said, we can't go up and do this. We can't possess it. We can't overcome this land. And so he began to speak with such a, 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 a place of boldness. Why did he have to be so bold in this moment? Because what God had already spoken before, then another word from the people came to cancel it out. Then, Mo, then Caleb had to come again and speak the word. Y'all, it was like a battle. And some of y'all know about the battle. Come on, it was like a battle. Glory to God. Oh, what, what God said, and then here comes something else, try to cancel it out. And then I'm still trying to stand in truth and I'm trying to speak truth. Come on back over it again about what God said. Let me tell you something. If you got to wake up every day and begin to speak what God has said, you better do that. Come on. You're going to have to cancel out this thing. Because let me tell you something. It did not end right here. It kept being a battle. Even though Caleb said it, they came back again. Come on. They came back even harder to even cancel out the voice of truth. It came back. It didn't end. So I'm telling you today, it is not over. Come on, you think that God, like, you know, the, the word of truth, the things that you said about me, the things you said about my family, come on, the things you said about ministry, come on, you think that it's going to end right here because you said it one time? Come on, you're going to have to keep speaking it because you said it one time. You said it two times. Come on, glory to God. You know, I said it one time last year, but why can't you say it every day? Come on, why can't you speak truth every day? You know that's what God said. If God said that the ministry, we're going we to have a, a building and, and God going to prosper us. Come on, you only said it two times last year. Well, I didn't see it, so I stopped saying it. Why can't you keep saying it? Why can't you keep speaking it? Come on, why can't you keep going back to the promises of God? Because you know what? The culture is still speaking it. When we're talking about cancel culture, like Nadesh said, what they do is they bombard the person with all the stuff, you know, and it passes on. Y'all know what I'm saying. You know, especially in 2020, we saw people canceled left and right. I mean, you would see CEOs and I mean, people would just be resigning. Like, don't fire me. I'm going to resign. Come on. They, they take it. They take their L and they would just leave it, you know, because it was so much coming from everywhere. So when the culture comes to cancel you, when the enemy comes to cancel the word of truth, he's not coming one time. He's not saying it, you know, every now and then. What is he doing? He's telling it, saying it so much that everybody join in. But that's where we miss the mark. Come on, because we'll say it one time and we think that's enough. You got to continue to speak. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody say, God, if I got to get up every day and I got to begin to speak the truth, I got to speak the truth about what God has said. Amen. Look at this. And so he stood up. He said, let us go possess it. For we are more than well able to overcome this. 
Come on, glory to God. We are more than able to overcome it. Amen. He already knew. He said, God, we can do this thing. Come on, because what Caleb did later on, the Bible says that Caleb stood up in another spirit. Come on, meaning that he didn't fall in with what everybody else was doing. Come on, lay on down the line. The story don't get all that. It get nice for Caleb. Come on, but it don't get nice for them other spies. Come on, because the Lord said, I choose Caleb. He said, because he stood up in another spirit. Meaning that I, he didn't, he just didn't bow to what everybody else was doing. Come on, he stood up in a spirit of faith. Come on, that takes something. Glory to God to be able to come back. And he said, yes, we can overtake this. Come on, and I, I want to go on. I want to go on because I don't want to stay. I don't want to stay here too long. But look at it. But the men that went up with him said, "We be not able." He said, "We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we." So look at this. Even after the truth came, they came back again, and they said, "We ain't gonna be able to do this." Come on, we we're not gonna be able to do it. Amen. It was like we we remember what we see over here. But I want to tell you today, you got to recognize where you've been so that you can learn from it, to know where you're going. Come on, because number one, they, they didn't even recognize where God had took them. God took you into the enemy's camp. God took you among the giants. They didn't touch you. You didn't have to fight them. Come on, glory to God. The, the, battle, was, the battle was the Lord. They didn't even have to fight. They came out of the, they came out of the land. They had grapes. Y'all played with me. Y'all, they, they, and they had grapes in their hands. Come on. I say, God, they missed all of that. They missed all of what God had did. They're sitting here afraid. We can't do this. We And I say, God, you gave them a snippet. You gave them grapes. You like God. I would have been so excited about the grapes. I don't know about y'all. Amen. Glory to God because I'm I'm grateful for the things I got in my hand. Come on. Somebody just say, God, I thank you for the grapes that's in my hand. Come on. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I thank you for the things that I brought out of this land. Come on. Because the culture will tell you, you know, or, or that voice that want to cancel out the truth will want you to look at what was in the land. It will want you to focus on the giant. Want you to focus on, you know, uh, 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 what what seems so because they came and said they came back and said they were like grasshoppers. They were saying, you know, they made us feel small. They made us feel little. Come on, because sometimes the culture wants the the truth of God to seem little. Like what we doing, it don't mean nothing. God is having an emotional. You know, y'all know what they say. They, they just acting all emotional and they just right there praising God. And, you know, your faith, you know, they speak in faith. But y'all know what the world copies what we do anyway. They copy exactly what we do. Because when they want to get excited about something, what they do, they put on music, you jumping around, you dancing. Come on, you doing all of that. Come on, wait, wait, you speak in faith. The world, people in the world speak more faith than the people in the church. Come on, they done grab hold of that as affirmations and all these, and they're doing is copying the kingdom. Come on, and God, God is like, it is time for you to grab hold of this. Amen. Because look at this. He said, He said, look, he said in verse 31, he said that we're we're not, they said we're not able to go up. They're too much, they're stronger than us. 
come on, don't forget about what's in your hand. Don't miss what God has already given to you. Come on and go on to verse 32. Amen. Go, go on. Amen. I just don't want, I don't want you to forget about that. But look at this. Look, look at uh, verse four. It says, and they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return unto Egypt. At this moment, they're ready to cancel. They're ready to cancel it all. They're ready to cancel their leader. They're ready to cancel us. They're ready to cancel everything. They're trying to cancel the purpose. They're ready to cancel God. They're ready, they're ready to cancel where they was going. Come on, they say, you know what? Give us another, we going. Give us another captain and we're turning back. And we're not moving forward. Come on, they was ready to cancel it all because of what they heard, what they seen. Come on, the, it, what was influenced, come on, into they were ready to cancel it all. They said, look, they said, we're ready to go back. Come on, and I come to talk to somebody today that's just ready to cancel it all. Come on, look at my uh, definition of the cancel. Of cancel, I have found this, that it says remove as sim, meaning to set up in a place to follow. So remove from the place of truth to follow something new. So to remove from one place that's set in place, that place of truth, to go and follow after something else. What does the cancel culture do? It, it cancel you so you'll stop believing one person, right? So that you can follow after something else. They're not canceling the person just because what they're saying is cancel that person so you can follow something else. And so what happens is that th this thing comes in your life. The enemy comes to cancel out the voice of God, the voice of truth, so that you can stop sit in this place of truth that God has you so that you can be removed from that place and to follow after something else. Don't we see that in the scripture? Look at the scripture. Look at the scripture. Look how it was ready to say, we, we're going to walk away. We know the truth. But we will rather walk away. Fine, because some of y'all right there, you ready to cancel everybody. You ready to cancel everybody. Because, come on, glory to God, you have allowed people, you have allowed your situations, you have allowed your struggles, you allowed your weariness, you allowed your lack, your, 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 your lack of, uh, of just prayer and really going after the things of God. You have allowed all these things to pile up and you ready to cancel. Cancel it all. Come on, glory to God. Can't cancel this person, that person. Come on, hallelujah. And they were ready to walk away. Come on, they was ready to walk away from the truth. I know what happens a lot of times. It, it, it's all these familiar, because they was familiar with them. And all these familiar spirits. Sometimes you will listen to what somebody said to you when you was two, because they said you would never be nobody and you ain't cute enough. And you know, all these things, you, you listen to that person and that other familiar spirit you dealt with. Come on, your first boyfriend, he said this, or your first girlfriend said that. Come on, and all these spirits begin to link up together, begin to tell you all these things that speak against the truth that is in you, against the truth that God has spoken concerning your life. The truth about your purpose, the truth about where God want to take your family. Come on, all those things, all these things begin to link up to come against the truth. That's why you have to say, God, hide me in a place with you. Hide me in your pavilion. Come on, God, keep covering me. Come on, glory to God. Let me find a, a, a hiding place with you.
with you, God, so that I can hear from you and not hear all this other stuff. Come on, glory to God. You may have to turn off some of that stuff. Turn off some of the, the, the stuff on social media. You have to turn off some of these things. Some people, like Minister Ledesma said, let me tell y'all something. I'm so concerned about my peace. I'm so concerned about my peace. You should be too. I say, God, I'm serious about my peace in 2023. So what I will not allow is anybody with any craziness, disorderly stuff. You know you out of order. I don't want to hear it. Listen, because I'm so concerned about keeping peace within myself. I'm not talking about peace on the outside. I'm talking about peace when you're sitting there by yourself. Come on. And what you really listening to. Because if a few of y'all will be honest today, baby, it's some things that be speaking to you. Come on. Glory to God. It be all kind of stuff speaking to you. And I'm not talking about the TV or even social media now. I'm talking about that other stuff that be speaking to you to cancel out the truth about you. The truth about what God has said. Come on, some of y'all battle with that all day long. Some of y'all battle it right now. Come on, glory to God. Some of y'all, but the devil is a lie in the blood of Jesus Christ. Come on, you got to know who you are. You got to say, God, I'm going to stand on the truth. You said I'm a great mother, that's what I'm going to speak. You say I'm an awesome husband, that's what, that's who I am. You say I'm a, 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 a virtuous woman of God, that's who I am. Come on, you got to begin to speak that. You said I'm a business owner, that's who I am. Come on, glory to God. You say I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, so that means that everything about me is beautiful, so I'm not going to let this stuff speak to me and cancel that out and tell me, oh, your hair ain't this and you don't look that. Come on, that's what it is. And you got to stand on the truth. You hear nothing else I say today. You got to stand on the truth of what God has said concerning you. Come on and go on. Go on to verse five. Go, I'm going to do five and six together. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their face before all the, all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. Look what happened. Moses said, you know what? I'm just going to lay out in prayer. He said, I'm going to go and I'm going to come on and treat. Come on, I'm going to go before the Lord. I'm going to just, because right now, I don't know how to get back in that place of truth. Come on. And at this point, Joshua and Caleb, they begin to rent their clothes. What, what does that mean? That means that they were trying to say, this is a big mistake. Come on, you following after the wrong thing. It's a big mistake. You canceling out the truth of God. This is a big mistake. And they were trying to get transparent. Come on, no, we don't need y'all to rip your clothes. But what we do need you to do, amen, we need you to stand up in the truth. We need you to stand on the truth of God. But it was that way of desperation of saying, I'm being transparent. Come on, because what God has said to us is the truth. What The principles of God, it is the truth. What's in this Bible, what's in the word of God, it is the truth. Come on, they were making a desperate stand to say, you know, you can't cancel this out. You can't cancel out the things that God has said. So that, I, I love it because they were basically saying, God, you know, here I am. So even in this cancel culture, sometimes it takes that. So many things to come to cancel out the truth about you. It takes that. 
stop laying down and taking it. Like, will you cancel out what you said about my children? What you said about my health? Or what you said about my ministry? Or what you said about, come on, glory to God, about the people of God. Why do you just lay down and just take it? They didn't lay down and take it. They didn't say, well, if it's canceled, it's, oh, well, well. No, they said, no. Come on, somebody say, God, I'm not just going to lay down and take it. Come on, I'm not just going to go with the flow. I'm not just going to move on and follow something else. Come on, glory to God. I'm going to stay on what is the truth. Hallelujah. And verse 7 says, Look at this. Look at verse 7. I'm going to end. And it says, and they spake unto all the truth, all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass it through to search it is an exceeding good land. They came back again. And they said, This is a good land. This is a good land. They said, the, We walk through this land and we pass through, we search it. It is. I know what you are saying. I know what picture you're trying to, you know, you, you're trying to paint this picture. Let me tell y'all something. The culture will paint a picture. The enemy will paint a picture. You know, I, I had somebody laughing the other day about relationship goals. Relationship, hashtag, relationship goals. And you don't even know by the time they took that picture, they, they fussing and fighting and acting crazy. Like, I want to be like them. You don't even know them. Come on. It's just a facade. It's just a lot. You know, it, it, it's, it, that's what it's created to do. Instead of saying, God, this woman of God and this man of God over here that I do know, Lord, I'm, I'm going to go and talk to them. Come on, hallelujah. I'm going to see what it takes to have a good marriage. I'm going to see what it takes to, you know, the, the, the be in a relationship because you're not always going to agree and it's not always going to be, you know, roses. You know, you know, it's not going to be all good all the time. Come on, so how, talk to me. Come on, the, the people that are real, like Nadesh said, there's a people in your face that is real that you can talk to and say, hey, you know, what does that take? Come on, every, everybody now is a preacher. You want to follow all these preachers online. Anybody can turn on Facebook, talk about good morning, on the good word today. And you, and you following that, Ooh, that's a good word. Instead of saying, no, God, like, I'm not going to follow all this stuff. God, I'm going to go to somebody that I know that's living for God, that I know that they it took, you know what it took. Come on, I tell people, it take, it's only $12 to buy a license nowadays. You know, you can buy being a pastor. It only takes about $12.99. Come on. But I'm saying, talk to somebody that had to live it. You know what I'm saying? That had to live this thing and had to pray and fast and to go, you know, and to get to this and labor to this place. Come on. Hallelujah. Turn to one of them. Yeah, yeah, y'all ain't with me today. Come on, glory to God. So, so look at this. Caleb, he came, he said, to, he said to all the people, he said, listen, this is a great land. I know it is. I want to give you a reference scripture and I'm going to get out of y'all way today. I, I pray that y'all been blessed by this word. I'm going to give you my reference scripture, which is Psalms 27 and 13. It says, I have fainted unless I have believed, I have believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It said, I, I had fainted. Come on, unless I have believed. Come on, glory to God. Fainting means to fade away. We're not going to fade away. Come on, you can't allow the, the, the cancel culture to, to cause the, the principles of God to fade away. 
the kingdom to fade away. Come on, the kingdom not going to fade away. Come on, glory to God. The, the, the promises, come on, and, and what God has said about me to fade away, the truth about me to fade away. Come on, I would have left it alone. I would have faded. I would have faded away unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What it was saying is that I will remain confident in this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord. Come on, somebody say, God, I will remain confident. Just say that with me. Say, God, I will remain confident, hallelujah, in this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'm not going to be canceled. Come on. The body of Christ not going to be canceled. The word of God, the truth about God. Come on. The kingdom principles. Come on. Glory to God. I am going to remain confident in this that we shall see the goodness of the Lord. Y'all hear me saying that we shall, glory to God, see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Glory to God. And I stand upon that. He said, because this was an exceeding great land. And I don't know about you, but I'm not going to miss it. I'm not going to waver. I'm not going to move. I'm not going to go follow after something else. Come on. I heard the word today. This word has been preached. It's been taught to me. Come on. Glory to God. All month long, we're talking about kingdom over culture. God, I'm not going to allow the kingdom. What's in me? Come on. What God has placed in me to fade away. Because why? I'm going to speak the truth. I'm going to stand on the truth of God. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what picture you put up before me. Come on, glory to God. I'm not, Caleb wasn't even moved by what they said. Because y'all know what? In the end, God was so frustrated with the people. He was over them. He was sick of them. He said, I kept trying to show you. And you kept, they kept not believing. He said, bring the spot. They, he killed the spot. They didn't make it. So God, I, I, let me tell you something. I'm too afraid to be in the, the council culture and, and walk away because I, you know, I don't want what everything I have built and everything we work for, come on, to be canceled and go away. God was like, kill him. He said, mm -mm. he said, we can't even have it because where we going, we can't take that with us. The road that we traveling to, we can't take that with us. This land, I already showed you the grapes. Come on, but I got more for you. That was just a snippet. Come on, what you got in your hand right now, saints, woman of God, man of God, what you got in your hands right now, what God has blessed you with, it's only a snippet of what God, where God is really going to take you. So I pray that you've been blessed by this word on today. Hallelujah. We just thank the Lord, amen, for everything that he has done and all that he's going to do. God be blessed. Thanks for tuning in and please make sure to visit us at churchatphila.com for more podcasts and ways to connect with us on social to like, subscribe, follow, and share content as it comes along. Special thanks to those who give in so many ways to this ministry. We could not do any of this without you. And if you want to give or be a part, visit churchatphila.com forward slash give for more information. Thanks so much for listening. God bless.